excited. It's our last series on our last, it's not our last series, it's our last sermon of the series on Romans that we've been looking at. And our next series is actually going to be looking at the family of God and what that means for us. Uh, it's inspired by James Green. I'm not going to lie to you about that, but um, I like where we're headed and I think that you'll like it too. And so I just want you to be ready and prepared for what's coming next week, the family of God. And we're going to look at what it means for us to be a part of the family of God. And um, one of those things we'll find is forgiveness, like the forgiveness that my wife is going to have to show me because I've lost my iPad and I have no idea where it's at. So today's sermon is on paper. I'm kicking it old school. Uh, they may fly off with the air. I may get lost. Who knows? But we're going to have fun today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. We are looking at sacrifice and grace, sacrifice and grace, and what uh, that kind of means for us. And so I'm going to just dive right in. Romans 12, 1 says, therefore, or I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, right away, Paul urges believers all to offer their bodies as living sacrifices. The basis for Paul's plea is God's mercies, right? God's mercies, often translated as compassion. The same word used here for mercies is translated as compassion in many other parts of Scripture. One of those examples is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, which states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies or compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? God's compassion, having been described in great detail in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And I'm going to tell you, if you've never sat down and just read through the book of Romans, I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to do that. It's like 16 chapters, am I right in that? 16 chapters, okay? Read a chapter a day, get you going for two weeks plus a couple bonus days, right? But I would encourage you to read Romans because it is a book that is just rich with God nutrients. That's a, that's a t-shirt right there. James, you're my guy. Okay? But the first 11 chapters of Romans, they, they really speak in great detail of, of the compassion and, and God's mindset, okay, which should lead us into a mindset of sacrifice. And that's Paul's point. Because of God's compassion, because of all that he has done for you, because of how he has provided for you, you should offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him. Specifically, he talks about the giving of our bodies for his use, for God's use. Not, uh, now, now, here's one thing we know about our bodies, right? Our bodies are, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? See, I was right. Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul's words would have called his readers' attention back to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But there was a Christ-sized caveat. Our sacrifice isn't one that brings death. Our sacrifice isn't one that brings destruction. You see, Christ has already paid the price. 
So this sacrifice that we offer to God is a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that is meant to bring life. Instead of death, it is rooted in life. The giving of our bodies is an act of worship. It's an act of worship in which we give back to God what has been paid for with the blood of Christ, right? With the blood of Christ. It is an act of worship. The sacrifice is rooted in the totality of our being. When he says to to give of our body, right? It's not just our our physical nature. It's not just this, thank goodness, right? Because I have a hard time giving this away. I'm going to be honest with you. But it is the totality of who we are. It is body, mind, and spirit for the glory of God. Such a sacrifice is holy and set apart, which is why Paul goes on to say in verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's instruction here is to change our mindset and our goals for life. The Greek in this passage lets you know that this is an ongoing process. We are to constantly, purposefully, regularly renew our minds by focusing on Christ and the things of this world. That's how change comes about. You see, the general measuring stick for life success is others. It's others. How do I compare to them? How do I compare to them? Am I measuring up? But as renewed beings, our success is measured against how well we conform to God's plan for our life. See the difference and know the difference because the world is trying to keep up with the Benjamins, right? The world is trying to check all the boxes. It wants the house, and it wants the car, and it wants the salary, and it wants this, and it wants that. And God says, why are you worried about that? Won't I provide for you? Don't you know that I will provide for you? As renewed beings, success is not found in the same avenues. Money, power, influence, they mean nothing. Because God can give those things and he can certainly take them away in an instant. They mean nothing. And one day we will die and we will have none of it. And it will not be attributed to us because that is not what God says is important. Money, power, influence mean nothing. But grace compassion, and servitude do. Grace, compassion, and servitude do. How are we impacting and serving the world around us? As we undergo this transformation, we are becoming more like Christ and less like his other creation, which is fallen and sinful less like his creation as it was not intended to be. And as we do that, we start to implant God's will in place of our own. 
It stops becoming about what do I want and what do I need, and it starts becoming about what does God want from me and how can I serve him and what do I need to do in order to bring glory to him. This benefits us because his will, as it says, is perfect. It's perfect. And it's important that we understand that this is not a description. It's not describing the will of God. It's what the will of God is, right? Like if you were to describe me, you'd say, oh, he's about six foot tall. He's a big fella. Uh, he's got a great looking mustache, right? Like, stop it, Caitlin. Those are things that you would say about me. My wife would disagree with the last one, but that's fine. That's how you would describe me, right? But that's not who I am. That's not who I am. God's will doesn't look perfect. It is perfection. It is perfection. In order to get to this point where we start to implant his will for our own, we have to start to view ourselves appropriately. Verse 3, for by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You see, as Christians, it is important that we understand that our abilities and our giftings aren't of our own creation. They didn't come from us. And there's a part of us, that sinful part of us, that doesn't like that. We want the credit. We want the credit. But renewed creations realize that they have been blessed by God. We have been blessed by God. All things, I want you to hear me when I say this, all things are provided by a loving God. And sinful creatures look around and say, look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Paul Huff doing Paul Huff things. Look at this grass, right? No, I'm just kidding. You'd have, you'd have to been here, right? We, we, we like to look at what it is that we think we've changed. We like to look at what it is that we think we have renewed, what we have improved. That is the sin within us. But a healthy believer, a renewed being, can look around and say, I can't believe that God used me to accomplish all this. I, I can't believe that I get to be a part of it. I can't believe that. I just can't believe that. An inflated sense of self leads us to take credit for things that we have not done on our own. And if you know anything about life, you should know that it takes a village to get to where you are. I look at my life and I realize it is not my own. I have been blessed from the ground up 
And I can look back now, it hasn't always been this way, but I can look back now and see how God has blessed me every step of the way. From the places that I've lived to the family that he put me in, I am who I am because of the people and the experiences that I have had, both good and bad. Sometimes blessing comes through heartache. Sometimes healing comes through tears. And yes, I'm quoting song lyrics. But God works and can work through all things. And therefore, he deserves the credit. Faith allows us to view all things with a sober mind. And sober-minded persons are able to view themselves as part of God's plan and not the author of it. Hear that again. Sober-minded beings are able to see themselves as part of God's plan and not the author of it. That mindset fits with God's design for the body of Christ. Verse 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Each one of us has a small role to play. And if we look at the world and we look at the kingdom of God, that role in and of itself, frankly, is tiny. But that does not make us insignificant. And you need to understand that. That does not make us insignificant. Like a puzzle with one missing piece. We can get the picture. We can see the picture. We can know what it's supposed to be. But we will never, ever get to experience the completeness that God intended if that one piece is missing. We will never be as strong. We will never be as whole. Everyone is needed. Every gift is needed. From the person preaching the sermon to the person cleaning the toilets, sometimes that's the same person, just so you know. And that's okay. Because we must do what God calls us to do. And what God calls us to do is to serve one another. We may be able to get the picture, but it will never be complete. The beauty of the body of Christ is that it celebrates diversity. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in our next series. But the beauty of the body of Christ is that it celebrates diversity. You are not like me. I am not like you. You are good at things that I am not. I am good at things that you are not. And together, we are able to function to the glory of the Lord in the highest possible way. But when you are not there, I am not my best self. Because now I am having to do something that I am not purposefully made to do. And I'm not going to do it as well as you. And I'm not going to do it with the same passion as you. And it's not going to change the kingdom of God in the way that it could if you were doing it. Each one of us has a responsibility to serve the body. We are a part of each other. Only when we commit to serving one another do we then experience the fullness of God's plan. 
Let's finish out the chapter. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And pro- if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortion, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Christ died so that we might experience life, not so that we could avoid death. Christ died so that we might experience life. And he presented us each graceful, graciously with certain giftings. We must be good stewards of what has been given to us. And each one of us must take advantage of our strengths to love our neighbors and our God by seeking to serve others and in doing so cheerfully. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it as if you are doing it for the Lord. Doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter if you think it's insignificant. God has a plan for you. He has a will for you. He has a path for you. And your only focus should be following that will. And if you do that, at the end of your life, you're not living in your mansion. And you're not able to buy whatever you want whenever you want. And people don't know your name. But there is a mansion prepared for you in heaven. And God knows who you certainly are. And you have fulfilled your purpose and done so cheerfully with thanksgiving in your heart. Then you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I don't care what I get in this life, I don't care what happens. If I hear that, I'm good. If I hear that, I am good. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now today and I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are and just the fact, God, that you can use someone like me. That despite all of my imperfections, despite all of my shortcomings, despite all the areas where I can fail, you through you being God can, can take someone like me and say, I can use that. There's a place for you. There's a purpose for you. You can change the world in small increments. To God be the glory. May each of us present ourselves as a living sacrifice to you to say whatever it is that you would have for me, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is you need me to do, God, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready to follow. I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. I'm ready to, to, to put myself second. I'm ready to put you first. God, convict us of the things that take your place. Help us to, to peel back the layers and, and, and to shed the things in our life that we don't need. The desire of my heart is to do what you want me to do. And I'm not always great at it. 
Sometimes I'm a lot like Jonah and it takes me getting swallowed up by a situation in this world to come around and and listen. But personally, I know that when I am in your will, when I am following you, when I am seeking you, even imperfectly, I am happier. I am more joyful. I am better to those around me. Your will is perfect. Your will is perfect. Help us all to implant your will in place of our own. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Go ahead and stand up right now with me. We're going to worship because I think that God deserves to be worshiped. Okay? And we're going to praise God because he deserves to be praised. And I want you to think. That's what I want. I want you to think about something that you can praise God for. Maybe share it with a neighbor. Today, I'm, I'm praising God for this. Think of something that you can praise God for. And give him that praise. Still, some of you are going through some really tough situations. And I know that. I know that. And it's okay to offer praise and then to send up a prayer. In fact, that's probably the way we should do it. Praise and then pray. If you need to pray, come pray with me. I want to pray with you. Use our stage as an altar. Pray here. Grab somebody next to you and ask them if they will pray with you. I guarantee you the answer you'll receive is yes. If you need to know what it means to surrender yourself over to God, to make him your Lord and Savior, because that is not a decision that you have made yet, come talk to me today. Discuss it. It's a conversation that is worthy of your time. If you'd like to become a member of our church, we would love to have you join us. You can talk to me about that after service. Don't leave. Don't leave. But regardless of what's going on right now, lift up praise, worship Him, thank Him for what it is that you do have.